We've talked about the value of co-innovation in previous episodes, but how is this different to a co-design approach? In this episode, we're going to explore the similarities and differences and then propose a model for better collaborative project management. Co-innovation is a systems-based approach to facilitating practice change. It's really only come into our vocabulary as enablers of change in the last decade or so, thanks to authors such as Lawrence Clerks at Wageningen University in the Netherlands. This approach aims to actively involve key stakeholders, such as suppliers, end users, and policymakers from the beginning of a typical agricultural research development and extension project, so they can contribute their great ideas. This way, they co-innovate with the scientists and researchers who might traditionally undertake the project on their own. And John, in a previous episode, we described how co-innovation can enable greater practice change. And we talked about how we can involve this wider group of people in jointly identifying key research questions, as they have a much better understanding of the wider system and what might work on farm. In a different episode, we've provided nine tips for making co-innovation work even better. These included taking the time to understand the problem, be inclusive, and be flexible and adaptable. So if you're interested, please check these out. I remember, Denise, that we tempered our enthusiasm for co-innovation by saying that not all projects will benefit from a co-innovation approach. Some projects only need a technology transfer approach for their simpler problems, while at the other end of the scale, complex problems benefit from the co-innovation approach. The diagram from the Primary Innovation website does a good job of depicting this continuum. That's true, John. So let's move on and talk about co-design. We sometimes hear people refer to it rather loosely and claim to be using it when perhaps they're not really. Co-design is a design-led process that uses participatory approaches to engage stakeholders in the design activity. This helps ensure that the finished product meets their requirements. When we talk about co-design, we mean engaging all the participants equally so that the researchers, extension staff, end users and other key stakeholders are empowered to make the important decisions collaboratively. You may be familiar with the IAP2 spectrum of public participation. On the left-hand side, we use mechanisms to inform the public, like fact sheets and websites, which basically just tells them what we're going to do. When we consult, we use focus groups and surveys to obtain their feedback, and we'll, we say we'll keep their input in mind when we make the decisions. When we involve them, Denise, we use workshops and we work with them to ensure their feedback is incorporated. When we collaborate, we partner with them and use more participatory approaches to seek their advice and incorporate that into the decisions. Finally, when we empower them, we put the decision-making in their hands and we implement those decisions. Of course, we can use a mix of these approaches in any one project, but when we talk about co-design, we're predominantly using the approaches on the right-hand side involving, collaborating, and empowering the end users. 
It's interesting, John, that while in agriculture, we've only really heard about co-design in the last few years, it actually predates co-innovation by a long way. If we use the Google Ngram viewer to search for usage of these terms, we see co-design emerged in the 1990s and has gained popularity in the last decade, whereas co-innovation only really emerged around 2010. And while the usage has increased in the last decade, co-design is used almost 10 times more in the literature. You may be wondering why the graph stops before 2022. That's because the Ngram viewer currently only searches for literature up to 2019. So while it's not totally up to date, it still does give us a picture, an overall picture of the trend. And that's why we like to take the time to look outside agriculture, as there's so much more we can learn from other disciplines, Denise. So how are co-innovation and co-design related? They're similar but different collaborative approaches. Let's step back and consider the overall collaborative project process. We weren't able to find a model that depicts this, so we've made our own and we'll be interested to hear your feedback about it. The traditional project management lifecycle involves design, plan, implement and evaluate, most often depicted as a linear process. Modifying this for collaborative project lifecycle then, John, we suggest the steps would be co-design, co-create, co-implement and co-evaluate, all verbs to emphasise the active nature of the words. We chose not to put these in a linear diagram, but instead to prefer to use a cycle. Uh, that way, the results of the process feed back into the co-design phase to further improve it. Let's look at each of those four phases now, Denise. This is where things get a little complicated as there's a wide range of terms that are often similar but slightly different. The co-design phase is where we identify appropriate key stakeholders and involve them from the get-go. This would often include end users, researchers, extension practitioners, social scientists and perhaps others along the value chain. Bringing this diverse group together should occur before any formal uh, project funding is sought, otherwise we're putting the cart before the horse and potentially limiting the outcomes. The team would collaboratively define the desired outcome, the scope of the potential project and its objectives and potential activities. Of course, John would use a systems perspective as we're working in an agricultural innovation system where many of the elements are in interconnected and where feedback loops are important. Uh, we acknowledge that the biophysical elements and the human behaviors interconnect. We also need to realize that we're predominantly working with the humans in the system, uh, even if we're studying the plants or animals. Using human-centered design principles is therefore important is an important component of how we approach the project. This is similar to the farmer-first approach that was popularized in the 1990s, but is wider to include all key stakeholders. So what is design thinking, Denise? It's a human-centered approach to innovation that integrates the needs of people, the possibilities of technology, and the requirements for business success. So in the co-design phase, we use those tools to help define and really understand the problem and how we might solve it. 
Design thinking often involves five steps in an iterative process as shown in this diagram. Let's explore the first two steps a little further as they're the ones that fit neatly into what we're describing as co-design. Firstly, we empathize, where we develop a deep understanding of the needs of the target audience and their situation through empathy-based interviews or observations. Then we define where we clarify the problem. Then we define where we clarify the problem by challenging assumptions and potentially reframing the question to clearly define the right problem to be solved. The first two steps are so important, Denise, and they form a foundation for the rest of the work. Once you start reading about design thinking, you realize there are 101 variations. For example, a similar approach is the double diamond process popularized by the British Design Council. This approach uses the processes of divergence and convergence to design the right thing and then design things right, as shown in this diagram. Ideally, John, all this work is done before we apply for funding so that we have the team assembled and a clear understanding of the problem. Once we secure the funding, we can move to the co-create phase where the project team works together to develop possible solutions and test them. The last three steps of the traditional co-design process fit into what we're describing as co-creation. These are as follows ideate, where we generate a large number of ideas related to potential solutions. Prototype, where we identify possible solutions to progress and create simple prototypes so audience members can preview the experience. And finally, we test by taking the prototypes into the field to better understand audience needs and further inform and iterate the solution. Other people refer to this phase as co-production, co-development, and the one we mentioned earlier, co-innovation. The third phase in our collaborative project management methodology is co-implement. End users will have trialed various iterations of the innovation in the previous phase, but in the co-implement phase, they work with others in the project team to enable widespread implementation and use of the innovation. This is sometimes referred to as co-delivery or co-application. The final phase is co-evaluate, also known as participatory evaluation. This approach involves the stakeholders in the evaluation process. While we might co-evaluate the impact of the project as a specific activity at the end, we acknowledge that the planning for that to happen needs to occur in the co-design phase. Monitoring then occurs throughout the life of the project. So Denise, coming back to the original question, is co-design the same as co-innovation? The answer would be no. They are different phases in the collaborative project methodology and can't be used interchangeably. Co-design is the first phase, while co-create, which is synonymous with co-innovation, is the second phase. Both are equally important in the overall collaborative project methodology. 
And John, we've used a lot of different co-words in this episode, and we appreciate that other authors use slightly different ones. At the end of the day, it's probably just a personal choice, and we hope that we can all coexist. <laughs> Finally, for the word geeks among us, the prefix co comes from Latin and means together, jointly, or mutually. Some like to think that when we refer to co-design, it's an abbreviation of collaborative design, but it's probably not. It's a nice thought, though. Here's a quick thesaurus of some of the other words used to describe the four phases we've outlined. <laughs> wow, Denise, this has been a much longer episode than I ever thought it would be. In closing, we'd like to thank Aisha Fleming from Syro, who very kindly reviewed this episode for us. She is part of a team exploring collaborative approaches, and there's a link to their website in the show notes. Thanks, Aisha. So, folks, you've heard our thoughts. Now we'd like to hear yours. Add a comment below the blog post and tell us about your experiences with collaborative project methodology, including any tips and further ideas about it. We don't want this just to be a one-way conversation, so please join in by sharing your thoughts and ideas with us. Thanks, folks, for joining us on this Enablers of Change episode. Remember to subscribe to our newsletter if you'd like to know when new episodes are available. And if you liked what you heard, please tell your friends so they too can join the conversation. All the best until we meet again.